This reading is from Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece and make you a warrior's sword. From John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is who he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on the donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. At some point in Jesus' ministry, he makes a very crucial decision. He begins to journey down a path that he knows is going to end with him on the cross. And he knows that once he starts that journey, that there's not going to be any turning back that Jesus himself is, is going to be on this path all the way to the cross. And he makes this decision while he's visiting his friends in Bethany. He's with a, a group of people that he's known for some time. We see him interacting with throughout the whole Gospel of John and in some of the other accounts as well. And he makes this decision to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And if you've ever seen pictures of Jerusalem in the surrounding area, or for those of us who just came back from a trip there, you know that Jerusalem is full of hills, that Jerusalem itself as a city, even in those days, was built on three different hills in one, one small area. And surrounding that, there was, there's literally dozens, hundreds of more hills for the, as far as the eye can see. And so Jesus would have been meandering as he walked up and down different valleys and over different hills, taking tried and true tested paths, paths that literally hundreds of people entering into the holy city of Jerusalem would have taken for many, many centuries before Jesus. And as he meandered through these hills, Jesus had to have on his mind the heaviness, the weight of the task before him. He must have been meditating, thinking, pondering about what he was going to be experiencing in this next week. His disciples seemed a little bit clueless, uh, and those who were with him were exuberant. They were excited. 
And it says in the, our passage today from the Gospel of John some unique things that the other accounts of the Palm Sunday events don't include. For one thing, John is the one who tells us that the branches the people cut and lay before Jesus are palms. Neither of, of the other three Gospel accounts, none of the other three Gospel accounts say that. They just say branches. And so we can owe John a debt of gratitude for this holiday that we call Palm Sunday. And so Jesus is heading into this um, city, this time of celebration, and everyone around him seems excited. There's a sense of energy and electricity in the air. They're, they're ready for Jesus to do something monumental. It's like they can sense and feel and know that Jesus has made a shift, that he's going somewhere different. And we see the discourses in Jesus' language to his disciples change in almost all the Gospels right around this point. So maybe it was the difference in what Jesus was saying. Uh, he wasn't telling the same stories anymore. He had a somber tone. Maybe it was some of this that began to inform them that Jesus was heading down a very serious path. But you see, John says in our account today that, it, that the disciples did not really understand all these events that Jesus was doing throughout this account of Jesus entering into Jerusalem until after he was resurrected and, and in glory. The Spirit helped them to begin to look back and to understand how Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. Now, I don't think that anyone around Jesus didn't think he was the, the Messiah. I, I think they all believed that he was the Messiah. I mean, look at how they acted. They were excited and they began to tell everyone around what Jesus was doing. And many of the disciples and people from Bethany who had witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead began to kind of witness to that to other people, to share that good news, that power that Jesus had over death. And, and they began to spread that news so that people in Jerusalem had heard about the works of Jesus and they were excited because they heard Jesus was coming into the city to celebrate Passover. And so a huge crowd, and this is where John's account also differs from the others, a huge crowd from Jerusalem comes to approach Jesus. And this is the perspective that we get from John. The other Gospels focus on Jesus and the journey of the disciples as they were going into the city, but we start our passage with a multitude of people coming out from the city to meet Jesus. Now, of course, they had expectations. They had expectations of what a savior of Israel would look like, what a Messiah would do, and all of these expectations were built into hundreds of years of cultural interpretation of the prophets, of the Psalms, of the history books, of the, um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the gospel, I mean, of the Bible. And all of these things have been informing what their expectation of Jesus is. And in some sense, they began to hearken back to a, a time not too distant past when Jerusalem was rescued from the oppression of another ruler. Now, in Jesus' day, Rome is the ruler. But in this past time, a group of, of family named the Maccabees had rescued the, the, Israel, um, the people of Israel out of oppression and they had rescued Jerusalem. And the leader of the Maccabees enters into the city of Jerusalem to huge fanfare. And we learn in this book of the Maccabees, which isn't in our Bibles, but some Christians do include it in their Bibles, 
we learn that they laid down palms before this leader who freed the people of Israel from an oppressor. And so we can see right off the bat in the description of how John tells us this story that they expect and believe that Jesus is going to be a conqueror, that Jesus is going to come in the image of the kings of old, the Messiah that they believed he would be a political, a military leader, a king who would rescue them from the oppression of Rome. And so as they were journeying out, they were getting amped up. They were getting ready for the revolution. They were excited and they were expectant for freedom, for peace. They were expectant for potentially war. And so as Jesus plays into this very expectation and comes the direction that they would expect the Messiah to come from the east towards the temple, down the Mount of Olives, they're getting amped up even more because Jesus seems to understand this about himself. But then Jesus does something weird. Jesus does something that their expectations hadn't accounted for. You see, if Jesus was coming in the image of all the other um, freedom fighters and all the rebels and, and all of the pretend messiahs before him, he would have come on a horse. He would have come in a position of power and of authority. But instead, Jesus chooses to ride on a colt of a donkey, which means a, a, an immature donkey. That he chooses to ride on a beast of burden and on a young one at that, representing not war, not conquering, but instead peace. And see, this fits perfectly with the prophecy that Jesus was actually fulfilling in Zephaniah because all around the context of this passage, God is telling how he is going to bring his peace to his people and how he is going to stop the instruments and the elements of war to bring peace. And so Jesus comes not as a conqueror, not, not as somebody who's going to militarily fight a war and win a victory for the people of Israel, but Jesus comes as a peaceful king offering peace and freedom to his people. Jesus knows exactly what he's going to be doing, but the people don't. And so as they lay palms down, as they're yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, cries of God save us, God save us. And then cries of the Psalms and they're yelling out, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, messianic Psalms that they're quoting. Jesus is hearing one thing, the fulfillment of the prophecy that he knows is going to lead him to die for all of humanity on the cross and then conquer not Rome but sin and death in his resurrection. He is hearing that, but the people are expecting something different. When I think about this story every year, I'm reminded how much in my own life I have various expectations of Jesus and what he's supposed to be doing for me. And I've learned over the last 38 years that Jesus rarely ever does what I expect him to do. In fact, Jesus most of the time does what's completely unexpected by me. Jesus brings me to places that I never expected to be at Dearborn, Michigan as a pastor. 
Jesus leads me to people who I would never expect to have been in relationship or to situations that I would have never expected to find myself in. Jesus unexpectedly turns my life upside down regularly, piercing my heart and teaching me in ways that I have not been obedient or in my full form as he wants me to be, mortifying the ways of my old life and becoming transformed in him. Jesus never does what we really expect him to do. And so this story is one of expectation, just like we looked at in our series with Jonah. We're starting this new series today called Appear, and looking at the various appearances of Jesus in and around the Easter story. And this first week is a unique one because this is an appearance of triumph that Jesus has just before it looks like all else has failed, like his victory has gone away from him. And then all the other appearances we're going to examine starting next week on Easter all the way through Pentecost pick up that mantle of what kind of victory Jesus was fighting for, what kind of conqueror Jesus truly was, the conqueror who brought peace and not war, who, who, victor, who is victorious over not human institutions, but over the powers of sin and death. And these appearances all tell us something about the kind of king that Jesus was meant to be and is even today. These are important things for us to contemplate in these times as some of the most unexpected things that we could think of have happened in recent days. We can look back at the last month and see that uh, orders have gone out from almost every single governor within the United States for people to stay in their homes. Orders that carry the force of law. Something that hasn't happened, I don't think, in all of the rest of human, or all the rest of of U.S. history. If you would have asked any of us two months ago if we thought that there was going to be mass orders for people at penalty of law to stay in their homes, most of us probably would have said, no way, not in America. And yet we've been hit with a crisis where not only have these governors made this order, we have all said, good, (laughs) because we see the danger of being outside and spreading this virus around. So we can begin to understand what it's like to be thrown into a world that is completely going the different way than we expected. And we can understand that Jesus in those moments shines. That it's in these moments in the Gospels where Jesus does the unexpected that we're most caught off guard and where we're most apt to pay attention to him. Palm Sunday gives us a new idea this year as we all have been hit with unexpected circumstances. Jesus doing something different in and amongst our lives with a virus that has caused lots of damage to our economy and to um, people's individual lives as they've lost loved ones. We've had to slow down. We've had to think differently about our relationships. We've had to take account for our time for how we use our time and for how we eat and all kinds of things in different ways than we normally took for granted before this. I can't help but think that we're gonna be changed for many, many years to come. Maybe even a generation or two will be completely different out of this experience than we were before. This is a pivotal time in history. 
And yet if we learn anything from this Palm Sunday story, we know that we can't be prophesying and expecting what Jesus is going to do next. All we can do is trust that Jesus is the good king who came riding on a donkey with a message of peace and not a king of war. A king who freed not just Israel from captivity, but all of humanity from captivity to sin and death. A king who gives hope and who gives new life to all who would but just come to him in faith. What an amazing thing for us to cling to and to know deeply, not just from our own stories and lives, but from the gospel and how it has transformed people for 2,000 years now. As we enter this week of Holy Week and we look at Jesus' suffering, there'll be much for us to think about the suffering of our world right now through this crisis. And much to think about the role of the church in the midst of that suffering and how we can be like Christ and the image of Christ as we minister to those who are suffering the most. Let us meditate this week. Let us continue to think about Jesus' journey on this path where everyone else was expecting him to come and overthrow Rome and instead Jesus knows that all those shouting before him would abandon him within the next seven days and he would end up on a cross as a traitor. Jesus knew what was before him and still chose to ride that path for us. Let us trust him even in these difficult times. Let us trust him that he is good and that he will do good in our lives even in the midst of a crisis. And let us meditate on that this holy season. Friends, this week as you encounter, I'm sure, all kinds of continually unexpected events and unexpected things that we never know these days what's facing us around the corner, know that Jesus does sometimes the unexpected thing to get our attention to draw us into his presence or he uses the unexpected turns of events in this world to um, draw our hearts deeper to him. And so let us this week trust in a God who has, was willing to come to this earth and willing to walk that path to Jerusalem knowing that it ended on the cross because he loved you and because he loves uh, and wants to see you uh, for all eternity in relationship with him and with everyone else uh, in the resurrection. And so let us come, let us, or let us go out from worship into our own homes. Don't go out into the world, um, but let us go from worship and back into our normal lives, trusting in Jesus. And may the King of Peace, the one who rode a donkey into Jerusalem, not as a war hero, but as a, a suffering servant, bringing peace, not just to the Israelites, but also to all of humanity. May that King of Peace bring peace into your hearts this week as you worship him in these special days. Amen.